Well, good morning. I'm glad that you're here today. Glad to see all of you, and we want to welcome those worshiping with us online as well. And how many of you came to church today wanting to have the power to change? How many of you want to have the power to change someone else? Well, don't point at them or anything like that. We started a new series last week, and we talked about this, and I hope that it'll be beneficial. We're going to walk through it today. So I want to ask you this question as we get started. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Sometimes you ask the question, why do they do what they do? But today we're going to focus on ourselves. And I'm going to give you three different examples of that. First of all, why do you do what you do in the morning? How many of you jump out of bed before the alarm goes off? You're up there on your feet before the button even moves. You're there, or if it goes off, you're up and ready to go. Zippity-doo-dah, right? Or how many of you hit the snooze button and you stick around a little bit longer? How many of you hit the snooze button while I'm preaching? Let me just ask you that. Okay. Here's another one. What about why do you do what you do in a restaurant? Okay, because you have to order food, right? And so you have two choices. You have the healthy choice and the taste good choice. How many of you order the healthy choice? Well, you're not advertising that. No, I didn't say that out loud. And then how many of you order the taste good choice? See, that's my people right there. I like that. Okay. Well, here's the third one. What about when it comes to money? How do you do in putting God first with money? What do you do? Do you worship him with the first 10% of all that he gives you? Do you give it back to him because of his faithfulness to you? And that's what he tells us. How many of you have a little month left at the end of your money? Somehow it just didn't work out right. The hot dogs and buns didn't quite match up the way that you wanted it to, okay? So how, do you, how come you keep doing things the same way if it's not working? Well, today I want to talk to you about some of the reasons we do what we do. One of the reasons that we do what we do is because we feel obligated to do it. You ever do something because you're obligated to do it? Yeah, sometimes we feel that way. You want to be a good mom or a good dad or a good friend or a good worker, or maybe you want to feel, you feel obligated to obey God, and so that's why you do it. Another reason that you actually do what you do is because you want to please God and you want to be disciplined in your life and you want to show love to other people and you want to make a wiser choice about life. And then the third thing that I want to ask you is, why do you do what you do? Well, maybe because you want to be liked and accepted. Maybe you do what you do because it's part of your image and you want other people to accept you and feel good about you. And so that's why you do it. Why do you do what you do? I'm going to tell you. You do what you do because of what you think of you. You do what you do because of what you think of you. I want you to think about that for a minute. Your behavior and your identity is often based on what you think of you. In the Old Testament, it says this. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Okay, from Proverbs. And we see ourselves, and that drives our behavior. Now, here's what I want to tell you today. God's Word is the lens for you and me to use to determine what to think about ourselves. It's God's Word. That's where we need to define that. That's where we need to make that decision. Who are we and whose are we? We belong to God. 
And you see, applying the truths of God's Word can transform your life. Now, there's some other questions I want to ask you in trying to determine who you are and why you do what you do. First of all, I want to ask you, what type of person am I? That's what you ask yourself. What type of person am I? Because that has something to do with what I do. Am I a believer who follows God? Am I somebody who likes to take the shortcut and get there quickly? Am I the person who's disciplined and I want to live that way in my life? Ask yourself, you know, why do I do what I do? Well, it's because partially of who you perceive yourself to be. The second thing is, what kind of situation is it? In other words, who are you in various situations? The situation can make a difference in what you do. Sometimes you might be active. Sometimes you might be passive. It just depends on what's going on. And so that's what you have to ask. And then third, what does someone like me do in this situation? And you think about the different situations you're in and how that applies to your life. Let's say, for example, you're taking a test and you don't know the answer and you can see the answer on the person's paper next to you. And so you're tempted to cheat and to look at their answer, right? So what are you going to do with that? Or maybe you're tempted to make somebody else look bad because you, you don't really like them because of whatever reason, and so you gossip about them to make them look worse. Or maybe you're tempted to be generous and be a blessing to someone else because you just feel led to do that and you feel like they need it. Or maybe someone hurts you, but you decide, you know what? I'm going to forgive them and love them, and I'm not going to return in kind what they've done to me. Or maybe someone does something to you, and it doesn't seem right, and yet you choose to think the best about them. Well, it's not their fault. You know, I don't know why that happened, but I'm just going to think, I'm going to take the high road. I'm going to think the best about them. So what kind of person am I? What kind of situation is this? And what kind of person am I in each situation, okay? Now let's start off with driving. How many of you have driven today to church here in Panama City Beach, Florida? I mean, that right there will just strengthen your prayer life. Just that. Just that experience. And you are made it. You're here. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? And so if you drive in Panama City Beach, you know what they told me when I moved here? They said, when you see the light turn green, count to three before you pull out. Because not everybody is paying attention. I went to Lowe's this past week to get a key made. While I was there, I met this guy who worked there. They called him up to help me with my key. And he, he said, I'm coming, I'm coming. He came around the corner, but, but he, he, was, he was a little slower because he'd been in a terrible accident. And his legs were just really, it was hard for him to walk. And he's not that old. But, but he told me what happened. He said he and his buddy were driving along on Back Beach Road, and both of them were on a motorcycle. And they were just driving along down the road, and somebody illegally pulled out in front of them, right in front of them, just stopped and pulled out right in front of them. Both of them, their motorcycles hit the car. They flipped over the car. The one guy that was on the outside, he, he, I'm on the inside lane or outside lane. Depends on which way you're going, I guess, inside lane. <laughs> the inside lane. Tragically, he went into the median and went over into the other, and ongoing traffic hit him and killed him instantly. Oh. This guy, 
He told me about all the broken bones and pins and all the surgeries and all the stuff that had happened to him. And he said, you know, in 10 years, they tell me I won't be able to walk anymore because my knees are just a bone on bone and there's nothing left to work with now because of this accident. He had a great attitude, but he was in there. He was working and, and he came down there ready to serve and, and he helped make my key, got my key made for me. And I appreciated that. But here, you know, you may be, you're going to fall on one side or the other when it comes to driving. You may be a justice person, okay? Somebody cuts you off, what do you do? You run them down. You get out of the car, you pull out your gun. You break their window and you say, let's have a little chat. You give them a driver's education lesson about what they should have done, and you point the gun at them and say, are you going to do that again? They, no, no, not me. I'm not going to. That's a justice person, right? You're going to correct that. Anybody else messes up, you're going to straighten them right out. And then there are the other people, the grace people. And so somebody cuts you off. What do you think? Oh, you know, they may have a pregnant woman in the car. I don't know why they did it. Maybe they're in a hurry. Maybe they got to go to the emergency room. Maybe they pulled out like that because they've got to go to the hospital. Maybe they're just really sorry drivers. I'm just going to give them grace. I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to let them do What kind of person are you? Or let's go to the office, okay? Here's one. Somebody brings in hot Krispy Kreme donuts. And you knock over three people to get to those donuts, right? Or maybe you're the other person. And you say, you know, I love donuts, but I brought healthy snacks today. You go first. In fact, I will share my healthy snacks with you because that's just the kind of person I am, right? And so you have a choice. Which one are you going to be? Depends on the situation. In every area of your life, you do what you do because of what you think of you. And your mind is always racing and trying to sum things up and make that decision. Why can't I change may be the question you ask. Why do I still lose my temper? Why do I still find myself practicing bad habits again and again? And here's the key. You do what you do based on what you think of you. Now, if you want to change, what do you do? You change what you think of you. If you're not pleased with the way that you are and the way you're living and what you're doing, you can change Yourself, You can change the way you think about yourself. How many of you are like me? You tend to think about the mistakes and the bad things you do more than the good things. Oh, man, I messed up. I'm sorry I did that. I shouldn't have done it. I need to do it differently. What a, what a maroon I am. You know, you're just doing that, beating yourself up all the time. Anybody do that or is that just me? Should I just stay for therapy after and y'all can help me okay? Why is it we tend to believe the bad things about ourselves instead? of the good things. I'm going to tell you why. The reason is because the devil is a liar. And since the day you were born, he's been lying to you. He's been telling you all these negative messages. And Debbie talked today about change, right? In her sharing that she shared. And so that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about change. And so what are we going to do with that? Well, the scripture tells us this. The devil has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus says, 
The devil is a liar. You can count on that. But then Jesus says, so when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Now, here's what I want you to catch. The devil's been hammering on you for all these years, telling you lies. And Jesus is coming along and he said, I've got the truth. I am the truth. I'll tell you the truth, but you won't listen to me. You keep listening. You're on the wrong channel. You keep listening to the wrong person. You need to shut that out and you need to listen to me because I'll tell you the truth and the truth will what? It will set you free. Don't you want to be set free today? If you want to change, God can help you change. So don't listen to your spiritual enemy. Don't listen to the lies because here's what he says. You can't change. You're not all that. You're never going to be faithful. You're not a real man. You're not a good mom. He says, you're never going to be financially free. You're always going to be addicted and stuck. The devil says about your identity, you're not worthy. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You're just pathetic. You're not the real thing. You're a hypocrite. You're an addict. You're a loser. You can't change. You're going to stay the way you are for the rest of your life. And here's what happens. When we keep hearing those lies and we keep listening to them, then what happens is we begin to have a distorted identity. See, God has an identity for us, but our identity of ourselves is distorted because we keep listening to the enemy. And let me tell you what happens. If we have a distorted identity, then we begin to have destructive habits. And that's how it plays out. Because I don't have the right identity, I start doing the wrong things. And that's just a cycle that keeps on happening. So if you think poorly of yourself, you do the wrong thing, that confirms that you're just a sorry person and you keep thinking poorly of yourself. You follow me? It's a destructive cycle. And that's what Satan wants to do is to trap us in that. But Jesus speaks the truth and he tells us who we are. So if you're a Christian, you're forgiven. You're redeemed. You're a joint heir with Jesus. You have access to God. In fact, in Hebrews, the Bible says you can go boldly to the throne of God. You don't have to come backing up, apologizing. You just come and talk because he's made a way for you to do that. A Christ-centered identity leads to a Christ-honoring habit. Christ-centered identity leads to Christ-honoring habits. So if you want to change your habits, then you've got to change the way you think about yourself. You see how that works? And then here's this. Christ-honoring habits reinforce a Christ-centered identity. It just keeps working with each other. It's just to balance us out and help us. Now, Luke says this. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening, he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. Jesus, if you study Jesus in the Bible, here's what you'll see about him. There was a time when he would go teach, Right? And he would teach. Then there was a time when he would withdraw and he would go pray. He said, I got to go. I've got to be alone with the Father. People need me. I'll be back, but I'm going to go pray. And then there was a time when Jesus himself would rest. He said, I need rest. I'm human. I've got to go rest. I'm God, but I'm human. And so I've got to take care of myself if I'm going to take care of these other people. There's a time and a place for everything. And the Bible talks about that in Ecclesiastes. And so we've got to have that balance in our lives. And then it goes on and says this. 
And Jesus came out and went as he was his habit to the Mount of Olives. Now, what we know about Jesus, if you study Jesus in the New Testament, you will see that he went to worship. He showed up for worship. In fact, he, he taught there. But also, he had a prayer habit. You don't have to read about Jesus long to know that he had a habit of prayer. He prayed, and that reinforces when we pray the spiritual identity that God has for us. Now, Lord, would you just wipe away all the negativity and lies, and would you speak the truth into my heart and life? Let me hear you so I'll know. And, and Lord, would you just show me who I am in you? Would you just show me my identity so I know who I am and I don't have to believe the enemy? And so how do I change? Instead of focusing on what you want, you want to do, decide who you want to become. Because if you decide who you want to become and allow God to make you that person, then you're going to do the right things, right? So that's the first thing. I've got to decide who I want to be. And then I can decide what I'm going to do, right? To the glory of God, your spiritual Christ-centered identity can make a difference. I'm going to give you some examples of that, okay? Let's say that you're a mom and you decide, you know, I'm so distracted by everything. You know, my kids are always here, and then i got friends and this and that, and it's going on. But what I want to try to do is, is I want to try to be fully present and wholly intentional when I'm dealing with somebody, if I can. Because it's, it's hard. It's hard for me to do that, but I want to try to do that. Or I want to be a man of God willing to lay down my life for my wife and kids. I want to be that person, and I can only do that with the help of God. Or I want to be someone who shares their testimony, and the power of God is evident in me so that people know that I'm not just talking, I'm living. And so they see the power of God. I want to be someone who lives that way. Why do you do what you do? Because of who you think, of what you think of you. I'm a person, say, that, that you want to say, I'm a person who does not want to skip my prayer time. That's the kind of person I'm going to be. And so I'm going to make that a priority, and I'm going to pray. I want to be a Christian who reads God's Word every day. And so I'm, I'm going to ask God to help me do that because he'll give me that identity. I want to be a person who puts God first in my finances. I have trouble with that, but I want to do that because God calls me to do that. He teaches me to do that. Why, why can't I trust him in that area? I want to step out. I want to try to do that. I can do baby steps, but I want to try to do it. Or I want to be disciplined. I don't want to try to make it on my own power. I need God's power in my life. I want to be fully present and wholly intentional with those around me. What have you done? If you've reinforced the identity to your spouse or your parents or your children that you're wholly intentional and fully present, they'll begin to believe that, won't they? You might say, I'm a Christian who reads my Bible every day, and so you make that a priority. And you seek God's identity in all you do. And you know that the devil tells you lies, and you don't have to believe the lies, and so you determine, I'm going to believe God. I'm not going to believe the devil. Now, Ephesians says this, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and 
deception, okay? So he says, since you've heard about Jesus and learned the truth from him, you don't have to live that old life. And it goes on to say, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. I can change the way I think. I can change my attitude. With God's help, I can be a different person. The Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then it says this, Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. I want to be like God. Christian means Christ-like. I want to be that person. I can't do that by myself. I'm going to need God's help. I'm going to throw off my old self. I'm going to put on the new self of Christ because God is going to help me to do that. And then that's going to change my identity. And so it's not behavior modification. It's spiritual transformation. And God's Word says you're a new creation in Christ. It says you're God's workmanship. It says that you can do good work prepared for you in advance. It says you're the light of the world. It says you're the ambassador of the Most High. It says you're the highest ranking diplomat sent from heaven to earth by God to declare kingdom principles in this world. You're not who the devil says you are. You're not who other people say you are. You're not who you think you are. You are who God says you are. And you can see that you're more than a conqueror for those who are in Christ and that you have the strength of a living God who works through you and you are forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. You've been redeemed. You've been chosen. You've been called. You've been set apart. You've been filled with the spirit. You've been raised from the dead. You've got a future. You can live for God. You can do it. The devil's a liar, but Jesus will tell you the truth and the truth will do what? It'll set you free. Okay, now here, I've been saying this, and I'm going to give you two quick stories. I've been saying you do what you do because of what you think of you, right? So I want to tell you the first story. This young woman, married, had small or uh, high school age children. She came to my office one day. This was years ago, a different church. She came to my office one day. Her husband was working out of town. She said, you know, I feel like I need to get a job because we don't really have enough money. And, and I wonder if you'd pray with me about that and maybe help me determine what I need to do. And, and so I, I thought, and immediately I thought, well, she can get a job in the preschool as an aide, I'm pretty sure. But Laura, my wife, taught in elementary school. Maybe she can get a job as an aide in the elementary school. Now, it would be the same job in both places. Neither one of them required a college degree. She didn't have a college degree. But she can make a lot more money working at the elementary school than she could at the preschool. And since she told me that she needed the money, I tried to encourage her to do the job at the elementary school, right? You know what she said? I can't do it there. I said, why not? She said, I don't have a college education. I said, you don't have to have a college education to do either one of these jobs. Well, no, I, I couldn't do it at the elementary school. I could do it at the preschool, but I couldn't do it at the elementary school. I tried to tell her, I said, honey, don't you know that nobody will know what your education is? And more importantly, nobody will care. They don't care. They're not even thinking about you. But you can make a lot more money if that's what you need to do at the elementary school. She had a false barrier. And in her mind, what she thought of herself, she could not do the job at the elementary school, even though she could. Why? 
because those lies are just playing over and over, and it's just repeating and repeating. And, and it was one of the saddest things. We gave her a job at the preschool. She didn't make near the money she would have made doing the same job at the preschool she could have done at the elementary school. She couldn't do it. That was so tragic to me. Now compare that to this. Recently, after the holidays, we were driving back from Birmingham. We had to stop in Troy, Alabama to visit Steve and Peggy Winton. That's Cameron and Katie's parents, also the godparents of our children. Laura grew up with Steve and Peggy. I've known Steve since uh, I was in high school. Steve's the preacher at the Methodist Church in Troy, First Methodist Church downtown. You ever go through Troy Sunday morning? Stop off. He'll, he'll preach you a good sermon, okay? Good guy. All right, so we have to go, but the reason we have to go, we like to visit with them, but the reason we have to go is because Cameron has left her electric toothbrush because she's been up there for the holidays. She has left it up there, and she needs to get it down here. So she says to us, would you stop and get my electric toothbrush that I left in Troy? And I thought to myself, what a small world this is. Because when I left Florida, I forgot to take my electric toothbrush to Birmingham. <laughs> we can kill two birds with one stone right here, right? So it's in this great big Tupperware thing. It's really not a toothbrush brush carrier, but that's what they put it in, okay? And so we, we're ready. We're going to deliver that. But we visit with them. Now, we've known them forever. And Laura and, and Steve and Peggy, they all grew up together. In fact... They were on the mountain one time at the cemetery, and Peggy says, this is where we're going to be buried. And Laura said, well, why are you going to be buried in this cemetery? She says, because we have family here. And Laura said, well, we've got family in this cemetery too. Now, they'd known each other all their lives, and they got to talking on top of that mountain in Tennessee, and they determined that they were distantly related to each other. Small world, huh? But you know, on the mountain, that's not really that big of a deal that you're related to everybody in town. That just kind of happens on top of the mountain in Tennessee, right? Fortunately, they're not really related to me except through marriage, so they won't have to go into therapy or anything, okay? So Steve, we're getting ready to leave. Steve started telling this story. It cracked me up. He said, when we were in high school, he said, I was on the football team. I knew he played center, and he was a center. And he said, we only had 16 guys on the football team. Now, you got to have 11 to play, right? And if somebody gets hurt, you got to have a sub. And if you're going both ways, you got to send every, everybody's going to play. If you're on, and listen. <clears throat> It doesn't matter what position you think you play. If somebody gets hurt and they need to send somebody in, you may be playing that position you've never played before because you've got to have a warm body in there. So he said his coach was notorious for doing this. He was always looking out at the field, checking everything out, and somebody got hurt. He would just reach back. He wouldn't look. He'd look at the field. He'd just reach back and grab somebody on the sleeve and say, get in there for so-and-so, right? Because, I mean, what difference does it really make? If you got to play every position, they're all there. Just send one of them in. A warm body will do, right? And he grabbed this kid by the sleeve without looking. Go in there for so-and-so. And the kid said, can I have a helmet? <laughs> it was the manager for the football team. He didn't even have the uniform on, but he was willing because the coach told him to, just give me a helmet and I'll go in, coach, if that's what you want me to do. <laughs> I don't know about you, but sometimes you can have a coach who believes in you more than you believe in yourself. 
We had Pedro Paz, the Cuban coach at my high school. He believed in us when I was playing football. He believed in us so much that he told us every day from the beginning of that year, we were out there in the hot heat. He said, you're going to go 10-0 and this year. You're going to win every game in the regular season. You're going to be 10-0. and we had never been 10 and 0 before. We have not been 10 and 0 since. <laughs> but Pedro Paz told us that we were going to be 10 and 0 and you know what? We believed him. And so we were. We were 10 and 0. And then we've gotten the playoffs and we had to go to Chattanooga and play Baylor. And that was like playing the University of Alabama when you're in high school, okay? They had three first strings and we held them till halftime and then they killed us and we walked off the field with our heads held high because we were so proud of ourselves. They went on to win the state championship. I wish we'd played those other two teams first because we'd probably made it to the playoff and then gotten beat by them, but we, we did okay. Why? Because that coach believed in us. Now here's my point. Here's what I want you to see. God always thinks more of us than we think of ourselves. And Jesus says, the problem is, I keep trying to tell you who you are, but you're not listening because you're on the wrong channel and you're listening to the enemy. And you need to turn that off and you need to be reprogrammed and get your identity from me. So my question today is this, what are you willing to do for God? What are you willing to do for God? Because when God calls you to step out of your comfort zone, he calls you to do something. He calls you to be somebody you've never been before. What do you do? Well, sometimes you might automatically say, no, I can't do that. No, I'm not talented that way. No, I'm not trained. I don't have a degree in that. I'm not qualified. I can't do it. And God said, I didn't ask you if you could do it. I know you can do it. I'm just calling on you because I want you to be faithful and obedient to me. But you don't know what I'm going to do through you if you'll just say yes. We have people visit here from all over the country and Canada. And it's just such a privilege. And we're so grateful. And they come in all the time to church and they say, we watch you all the time back home. And I'm just so grateful for that privilege. And I'm thankful because what I do, I get a front row seat to watch God work. A couple came in church at 9 o'clock service this morning. They said, we've been watching you online for years, and here we are. We're so glad to be here. And then the wife looked at me, and she said, he's been listening to you preach, and he got saved. I got a front row seat to watch God work. But what if I had said to God, you know, I don't really feel comfortable doing that. I don't think I need it. So get somebody else to do that. I don't want to do that. What's going to happen this week that could be eternal? Because you do something that God asks you to do that you don't think you can do. But you, you say, you know, God, if you call me to do it, even if I don't believe in myself, I believe in you, and you believe in me, and so I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give it a shot. And I just ask for your help, Lord. I'm going to step outside my comfort zone, and I'm going to do whatever it is you ask me to do. And I'm going to trust you. Father, thank you for giving us the privilege of listening to you. Help us trust you. Help us listen. Help us act 
on what we hear. Help us do what you think of us, not what we think of ourselves. Change our identity to be the one you've called us to be. We thank you for it. We praise you. We're, we are so appreciative. Thank you for giving us a front row seat to watch you work. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's children said.